Well, we want to welcome you to uh, to our Christmas concert tonight. And uh, as Tim mentioned, uh, we wanted to answer a question. One of the songs that you sang tonight uh, was a Christmas carol, well-known carol, but I think it asks probably the most profound question of any song that's being written. And I don't say that just because I'm a preacher and you come with overstatement. I really do think it is the most profound uh, an important question that has ever been penned in a song. It's so what child is this? What child is this who laid to rest in Mary's lap is sleeping? And I think that asks a question that is important for us because how you answer that question will determine a couple of things about you. One is that you'll know your purpose here. And secondly is that how you answer that question will determine where you spend eternity. And so tonight I wanted to spend a moment and just consider and ponder that question. Just what child is this? Who was that baby born over 2,000 years ago on that Bethlehem night? And to do that, I I know you guys didn't know this, but Tim actually was working overtime and has constructed a time machine. This whole building is actually a time machine. And you have stepped in and we're going to take this machine back 2,000 years to that Bethlehem night. We're going to, to go back there because we want us to consider that child that was born. And so we've now, like that, we're already there. We've gone back 2,000 years. Now we're, we're out in the meadows, rolling hills and just outside of Bethlehem. And we noticed around us a large flock of sheep. And we can tell by the smell we're around a large flock of sheep. And just beyond that flock, we see a group of men. They look like shepherds, one that you'd expect. They'd have the staffs and the the headbands. You know what they look like, right? You've seen the pictures and the postcards. And so these shepherds are standing there. But what's unique and interesting to you is you notice that a glowing man is standing in front of them. In fact, there's, there's light all around them. And this glowing person is speaking to them, but you can't hear exactly what they're saying, what he's saying. And then all of the sudden... There is a large group of glowing people that suddenly appear and you can hear what they proclaim as they shout glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he's pleased. And uh, at that moment, as fast as and as quickly as that great throng of heavenly beings appeared, they disappear. And suddenly the shepherds take off like a shot and they run into town and they make great haste and we want to follow them. Again, you know the story, but I want you to to place yourself there. We're running after them. These guys are excited, and obviously they're looking for something. What are they looking for? For a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a feeding trough, a place where cattle and sheep were fed from. And so this this band of shepherds gets to the scene. You you come upon it. You're kind of staying. We're staying behind the buildings. We don't want to interrupt the situation. They come upon the scene. There's a man and a woman in this stable area. And there is indeed a baby that's in a manger. It's in a feeding trough. And you see the shepherds. They, they rush upon the scene and immediately they stop. And they stand there enraptured at what they're looking at. And even though we know now exactly who they were looking at, it still, it takes us aback. And we are sobered by that scene and seeing these men standing there amazed, looking in to that feeding trough. And then one of the shepherds begins to speak and he tells the parents, Mary and Joseph, about their experience that an angel had appeared to them, a messenger sent from God, and he told them something about this child. He said three things about this child. And in that answer, in that statement that the angel made to the shepherds, he answers the question, what child is this? For that angel told them on that night as they were out in the fields watching over their flocks, there has been born for you today a Savior 
who is Christ the Lord. Three titles that angel gave to Jesus. The first, that he is our Savior. He is a Savior who was born. Savior comes from his very name, Jesus. Or that's the Latin form of the Hebrew word, Yeshua, Joshua, the Lord saves. That wasn't a name that Joseph came up with. That was a name given to him. Remember, the angel appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, you shall name your son Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus saves from sin. He can save you from your sin. The Bible declares plainly that all of us have sinned, every single one of us in this room. And as beautiful as the choir looked, there are a bunch of sinners too, just like you and me. We're all sinners. The Bible clearly says that there's none righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all disobeyed God. We have all spurned Him, a loving and holy and righteous and just God. None of us have have committed or have done anything have perfect in our life. None of us are perfectly holy. All of us have disobeyed Him. We're all under the power of sin. And on our own, we cannot break free. And as sinners, we stand condemned. There's nothing that you or I can do to erase that sin. Nothing. There's no good deed that we can perform that will, will cover a bad deed. There's no righteous act that you or I could do that will cover over and erase an unrighteous one. It'd be just like if a murderer was standing before a judge, a murderer who had killed many people, and he demands from the judge, Judge, you need to free me. I'm really a good guy. You know, in fact, on the way over here, I had stopped by the mission and had helped serve some meals. I have sent some money to several orphanages in other countries. In fact, I, you know what? I brought in my mother-in-law and I'm taking care of her. I'm a great guy. So you need to let me go, judge. I, I've done more good deeds than, than the bad ones. There's no way that judge should let him go. It would not be just or right. And in the same way, none of us can stand before God and say, yes, God, I, I have committed some pretty bad things, but, but I've done more good things. And because of that, you shouldn't condemn me. I shouldn't be punished. But God is just, and our sin requires punishment. And it's a punishment that the Bible describes as eternal torment separated from God in a lake of fire called hell. Now, that may seem severe, and that may seem cruel and harsh. But rather than ask the question, why would a loving God send people to such a place for eternity? We need to ask the question, sin must be that bad, or how wicked can sin be that that is the punishment that it deserves? I mean, we only need to think back to Friday morning in Connecticut to think about how wicked and evil sin can be. And we can't escape that sentence. We can't escape our sentence of eternal punishment in hell without a Savior. We need someone to deliver us. We need a rescuer. None of us are capable of that. None of us can swim. We're out drowning in an ocean with only one person in history that can draw us out. Jesus is that man. And remarkably, that, that baby that was in the manger who grew into a child and then into a man, he never sinned. Hebrews 4.14 says that Jesus was without sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he knew no sin. 1 Peter 3.22 said that Jesus committed no sin. And that's an important point to remember because as a sinless man who was in condemned to death on a cross, he is able to pay for our sin. He's able to take the penalty and the punishment that you and I deserve for our iniquity against God upon himself. He could take your place. And he suffered on that cross, suffered the wrath of God, 
And he suffered what is more than eternity in hell. Because, you know, living or being in eternity in hell isn't enough to pay for your sin. Otherwise, it would stop at some point. But it's eternal. It's forever. The only thing in this universe that can pay for a sin against a holy and good and loving God is the payment Jesus made on the cross. The wrath he took on himself for you and for me. And so the angel made an amazing statement that night when he said, Jesus is your savior. He's your savior if you confess to God that you're a sinner. He's your savior if you cry out to him to deliver you. He's your savior if you're willing to turn from your sin and place your trust in him. Only Jesus can forgive. He's the only one that can do it. And beg for that forgiveness and he will readily forgive. The angel also said not only was a savior born that night, but he also called Jesus Christ. Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which means the anointed one. It, it comes from an Old Testament um, uh, principle or concept, the Mashiach or Messiah. It's the promised one from God who the Old Testament spoke of, who would be sent from God to destroy God's enemies and to save his friends. Isaiah 9, 6 declares that a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. Micah 5, 2 says that a ruler would come forth from God will be born in Bethlehem. Zechariah 14 talks about that rule of the Messiah from Jerusalem. And here in Luke 2, the angel declares very clearly to the shepherds that this baby that was born is that Messiah. He is the coming one. Acts 17.30 says that God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. After Jesus hung on that cross and gave up his life for us three days later, God raised him from the dead to say, this is the Messiah. This is the one. This is the man I have appointed not only to be your savior, but also to be your king, your Messiah. Psalm 2.12 says to do homage to God's Messiah, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. For you see, that baby that was in that manger is not only our savior, He's not only the one that can forgive, he's also our judge. Not only does he offer that forgiveness for those who put their faith in Christ, he will judge those who refuse to put their faith in him. And that psalm that says that do homage to the Messiah, that homage, that honor that we give him is more than simply affirming that Jesus did come as a man, that Jesus was born as a baby, that he is God and that he died on a cross for our sins. It's more than just verbally affirming that he rose again after three days. Satan believes those facts perfectly. He has no doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. He knows perfectly clearly that he is the Savior. He knows he's God. He's seen him in heaven. But Satan is not going to be there. Understanding those facts and affirming them isn't enough. Bowing the knee to him as your Lord and King is what you need to do. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. See, it's more than the belief in the facts. It's a submission and an allegiance and a loyalty and a faith in a person, in Jesus Christ. And the angel didn't stop there. Not only did he say that this baby was our Savior, that this baby was our Christ, our King, he also said He is the Lord. 
the Lord. What he was telling us in that statement, what he was telling those shepherds when he said that, that this baby that you see is not just human. This is God. God in human flesh. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, he said that I am Yahweh, the, uh, what God spoke of himself as his personal name from the burning bush to Moses. Titus 2.13 says our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Jesus is Lord. He is Yahweh. He is our God. He's fully God and fully man. And how that all works, I have no idea. But the Bible is clear. This is who he is. Philippians 2 said that, that Jesus willingly laid aside his prerogatives as God and took on human flesh. That doesn't mean he divested himself of his deity or his divine nature at all. What it simply means is that he chose to restrain or limit himself to take on human flesh, to become a man. And so, as any of us, he was conceived in Mary's womb, though it was the Holy Spirit that conceived him there. And then he grew from that small little egg into a fetus, into embryo, into a human baby. And he was born just as you and I were born. And then that amazing night when he was born and they wrapped him up tightly and put him in that manger and he's lying there. Let's go back to the stable. We see the shepherds. They've just told Mary what the angel had told them about who that baby is. And they leave with great joy and blessing, praising God. We can hear them singing all the way back to the pasture. And we're curious. Again, even though we know this story, it's like in that moment, we want to see him. And so we, we make our way towards the stable. And then picture yourself standing there, and Mary and Joseph with the child. And then you look in. To that manger. Who are you looking at? Think about that. To see him lying there. What child is this? What does the song proclaim? This, this is Christ the King. This is him. The Savior has come. As that song that they were singing earlier. God has stepped into the world. And he came in the form of of a little infant. And there was no fanfare. There wasn't the kings of the earth that needed to come. And by the way, the Magi didn't come until later when Jesus was a toddler. He wasn't there in the manger scene. I, sorry to pop a bubble if, if you thought that. All who was there that night, we know Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. We don't even know if anything else was there. God came to earth and that was his reception. And as we stand there, we're taking it all in. The, the creator of the universe chose to clothe himself as an infant. The creator of all became part of his creation in order to save us. In order to redeem us. In order to claim and reclaim what God had created for his glory. Because we had sure messed it up. A holy God who judges sinners is the humble God who became one of us in order to save us. That should really hit you in that moment as you're looking at this child. This is, this is him. And his arrival that night, it shows beyond a shadow of a doubt just how far God is willing to go so that you would not perish in hell. What an amazing God. It's an amazing God who would do such a thing. 
And he doesn't require yourself to, to, you make yourself holy to be acceptable. In fact, you, you can't do that. God does not call you to remove your sin before you come to him, but to come to him so that he can remove your sin. And all that he requires, this is all God asks for. Is that we come to him in humility with a contrite heart. And we say, yes, God, I, I have sinned against you. I've sinned against you terribly. And there's nothing I can do but beg for you to forgive me. Or there's nothing I can do but say, I, I want to, to worship you as you created me to do. I want to love you as you have called me to do. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Have mercy on me, God. Save me. It's all God is looking for that you would commit your life to Him. He'll take care of your sin. He'll wipe it clean with the blood of the cross. And He will adopt you as His child. God is not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But for those of you who haven't genuinely confessed your sin to God, who haven't submitted yourself to the Lordship of Christ the King, who haven't committed yourself to follow Him in faith, I want you to think one more time on that question. What child is this? This child is God the Son, who came to earth as a meek baby and who's going to return as a conquering king. Nothing's going to stand in His way. This child is one that you will stand before one day and you will answer to Him as your judge, or you will be embraced by Him as your Savior. The choice is yours. Will you bow the knee before the Lord of the universe? Will you confess your sins to Him and rely only on His death to save you? Are you willing to turn from your sin and place your trust in this great Savior? Will you believe that God raised Him from the dead to show Him that He is indeed the Lord and Judge? And I want to give you a moment now in silence between you and God, let's give you an opportunity to talk to Him. Maybe the Spirit is, is working on you. You feel conviction or maybe things are not right between you and the Lord. Maybe you've never made a commitment of trust in Him. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that now. So I'll give you a moment of silence and then I will pray. Lord, let none of us in this room be one that was sung about earlier that had no room in our heart for the King. Lord, may you work in each one of us. And I, I pray, God, that for any that don't know you now, that your spirit would be at work, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would open their eyes to see the truth of this Messiah that was born, God the Son coming to earth to redeem and also to judge. And I would just ask, Lord, that you would please show mercy on all here. And I pray, Lord, for those that do know you, that we would rejoice as we consider who was in that manger and the, the awe and the wonder of it all to think that you had clothed yourself in flesh and, and came as a humble and meek infant born to a humble and meek family, spending your first night outdoors. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the willingness to do that, to sacrifice Yourself for us. We pray that You be honored tonight by what we offer to You in song. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.